listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. So this work can be very difficult, especially if we think or assume that someone is going to do it for us. That's a very difficult, difficult space. If we think that someone, and I touched on this last week, but just I wanted to make sure if you weren't here, you heard it, and if you were here, that it was kind of reinforced. Um, this work is, it's deeply personal. All the lifting must be done by none other than you. No one can enlighten you. Uh, for that matter, if they say they can enlighten you, you should, I think the word I used was run. You should run. It's not, it does, just doesn't work that way. The way that awakening uh, uh, bursts in people is it occurs when they slow down to the point that there is absolute stillness in body and mind. And in that place of stillness where they can observe all things that arise in their awareness, they recognize that precisely none of those things that arise in their awareness are them. That they, in fact, are the stillness. That the sitter who is sitting recognizes, oh goodness gracious, whatever I thought I was, was so partial, so incomplete. So we have all these techniques and so forth that we use to try to get us into this space of stillness. And I was giving a talk this, this last weekend to this group of people that I think are really, they're marvelous. They, uh, they really, uh, they, they're very, very sincere in their work and, and so forth. And we were talking about these two different styles of uh, uh, attaining, using air quotes there, attaining stillness. One being what we um, affectionately called, what, what the teacher of my teacher used to call the, uh, the big field. You want to give your cow a big field. In other words, we give our mind a big field, all right? Uh, instead of trying to bring in the boundaries and tighten it up, we actually just extend the boundaries as a way of studying the mind. In this case, he referred to the mind metaphorically as the cow. Moo, right? <laughs> and so what we do is we study this mind we study every single aspect of it. We study, we study the tail, we study the horns, the udders, the legs, the nose, the cud chewing, all of this, this cow. We just study it, essentially, as we sit. And in the studying of it, we recognize that it's not the whole story. It thinks it's the whole story. It thinks it is complete. Okay? But it is not. There is grass, there is sky, there are clouds, there are trees, right? 
And that which is studying the cow, that which is aware of the grass, the flowers, the trees, the sky, the clouds, all that stuff, that which is aware is totally beyond the boundary of the cow. And if this metaphor seems so twisted and weird and you have no idea what it, just, that's okay, just remember to study the mind. Study the mind. Study the mind. As you're sitting, watch whatever comes up, whatever is arising, whatever thinking, whatever categorization you have, whatever compartmentalization you have, what, any of these things, all of that stuff. Study all of that stuff. And don't try to bend it, break it, change it, fix it, push it, pull, just watch it. That which is watching it is still. Rest there. Rest there. So that's the big field. There's also another kind, um, which is the, uh, when I was in Nepal, I spoke with this Lama who was um, very much, uh, he was really intrigued by the fact when I sat down, he was, he was saying, um, he's saying, so when you meditate with us, what is the object of your meditation? I think I've shared this story with several of you. And I said, well, I, actually, no, in my training, there's no object of meditation. We're just supposed to give kind of this, you know, just opening. We just stay hyper aware of everything that arises. And he says, oh, 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 very advanced, very advanced. And I, of course, got real smug at that moment. Said, yeah. Yeah, we, we, we know what we're doing out in San Francisco. <laughs> and he, uh, he then kind of kept on me. He said, so you don't, do any, you don't do any concentration practices. In other words, instead of the big field, the open field, don't you ever, I'm m m making this up, don't you ever put the cattle in the chute, you know, to take them to slaughter? And it's like, actually, No. But that's equally valid. It's equally valid. You can either give your mind an open field or you can really kind of hyper, try to hyper concentrate it. We work with koans and so forth. You know, what is the sound of one hand clapping is a very, very famous koan. And it's designed to keep you from intellectualizing, compartmentalizing, categorizing. You can't. You can't it, because it doesn't make sense. There's nothing that the mind can do with that except stop. And then when it stops, we have stillness, right? So we have the kind of the, the shoot method, which brings meditation into this hyper-focused space, or we have this opening. And I am very partial to the opening because when we do these concentration practices, you can find lots of what we might call false enlightenment. The, people will do concentration practices, they will do koans, and they'll suddenly have this, you know, amazing sudden blast of, wow, oh, I get it. Darn it. You just missed it. Right? And so then the I thinks that it gets it and starts spouting off as instead of, uh, instead of just an ego, now it's an enlightened ego or an ego that thinks it's enlightened. And that's really dangerous 
enlightened egos, I mean, history is replete with tons of enlightened egos that uh, actually they, they can speak, you know, a great game, they can give convincing talks, they can, uh, you know, philosophize with the best of them and so forth. But it doesn't permeate us in the same way that an open field will allow us to kind of grow bigger. We become more expansive in that open field. So I advocate that, but I don't insist on it. You can do whatever you want when you're sitting. You're allowed, okay? Some things will, will help you along more than others. If you're interested in those, you just raise your hand. We can talk about them. Um, uh, but, but the open field, letting your mind be as it is so that you are sitting miraculously as kind of a full expression of yourself. Being in total silence, just being without speaking is a beautiful form of full expression. It's not very different from being in the middle of a jazz riff where you're not thinking about the notes that you're playing with your hands uh, on the piano or on the guitar or on the trumpet or the vocalization. You're not really thinking about it. You're not, you know, what's my next note? It's just happening, okay? The full expression. That same thing happens as we sit when we give our cow an open field. Let yourself fully express. Be fully expressed in total stillness. May sound paradoxical, but it's a beautiful way of kind of meeting stillness and letting stillness kind of inform all that you are, even if it's just for 30 minutes. Okay? Become your wish. This isn't that far from Gandhi's line, you know, be the change you wish to see in the world. Okay? Stop your war. Right? Stop your war. Be the peace. Be the peace. That's so hard. It's so hard to do, but there's a path that gets us there. There's a path that will take each of these wishes into a, a, a space where there's infinite potential and infinite possibility. Where wishes, it's not so much that they come true as much as they become our, the deepest part of our own expression in the day-to-day. -day. And it begins with kind of an understanding or a, a, a visual picture that, that I'm going to throw out so that, that we can play with it a little bit. But can, can you imagine... Um, a ping pong ball in the middle of the ocean. Okay? That it's very small in the middle of something very, very vast. Okay? Another thing you could do is imagine Earth or the sun and then the rest of the cosmos enveloping, surrounding like that. So you have a sense of that which is kind of smaller and that which is bigger. 
and we will take this visual metaphor and play with it just a little bit because what the ping pong ball is, is faced with, it is faced with getting knocked around by the infinitely powerful ocean. It does its best, especially when it, it sees itself as having tremendous purpose and it wants to be viable and it wants to manage things and it wants to, right? This is our small self. And the ocean would be the equivalent then of our big self. The ping pong ball, in other words, is not separate from the ocean. It is not separate. It is totally linked and connected. And it's all of its activity is governed by, okay, the ocean's expression. Are we clear so far? Does this kind of make sense? In other words, the ping pong ball, no matter what it says it might like to do, cannot um, motor along towards Hawaii, if it, even if it feels like it. It might get caught up in a really cool current or something, and voila, it's there. But it can't manage that on its own. It needs the cooperation, the dependent, if you will, co-arising of everything that's going on in the ocean that carries it. Okay? So what is it? What is it that if we were going to then take this metaphor and kind of toss it onto our experience, what is it that uh, our ping pong ball nature in the midst of uh, an oceanic experience, what is it that we face? Well, we face typically a resistance to the reality that we aren't in total control. Compare that with the type of experience that the ocean has. Is there resistance in the ocean? It's just the ocean. It's not resisting anything. It just is. It's non-resistance in the ocean. Total resistance. The ping pong ball is doing its best to make sure that it stays viable by keeping all the water out. Okay, it's got that skin, all right? That gives it integrity, gives it, if you will, agency, whatever you want to call it. And it's desperately trying to continually keep the ocean out. Otherwise, is it really a ping pong ball? <laughs> I have no idea what you'd call it, actually, if it was filled with, I guess it would technically be. Uh, that's fun for the brain to think about. What would it become <laughs> if it was filled with water, huh? Well, anyway. The ocean, back to the story, the ocean is infinitely expansive. Infinitely expansive. Now there is, you could, you could play with this, say, ah, ah, well, you know, it's actually, it's only as expansive as the earth because once you get out into space, you no longer have the, okay, fine. Just suspend your disbelief for 10 seconds and then we'll, we'll, we'll go with this in technicality if you wish. But it's infinitely expansive. And the ping pong ball itself, as we can notice, is, is contracted. Okay, that expansion versus contraction. It's hugely important as we begin to kind of try to become our biggest self, to, to try to become the, all that we wish to see in the world. The ocean, in another sense, uh, looks at the ping pong ball and couldn't really care less about what it's doing. Couldn't really care less. The ping pong ball, on the other hand, 
totally cares what the ocean is trying to do to it, okay? Uh, and boy, if it meets another ping pong ball and butts up against it, it bounces a little bit. And certainly if it gets hit with a pat, I mean, it's, it's always bouncing, it's always moving, all right? The ocean itself is in the state of flow. We have, the, if you will, the ping pong ball is egoic. Okay, there's, there's, there's selfhood to it, and there's no self. There's what we might call trans-egoic. In other words, on the other side of ego for the ocean. In that space, the contracted space, we are about mind. We are about our interpretations and the meaning that we make as it relates to a certain situation. The ocean does not care. And it's not that it's uncaring in the sense of cruel. I mean, the ping pong ball may look at the ocean as behaving in a cruel, cruel way, but the ocean is just being the ocean. Spirit is just being spirit. Ego is fighting against it constantly. The ocean is only ever concerned with what is, as it is, as a continual expression of itself. It's, it just is. The ping pong ball, on the other hand, is desperately concerned about past and future. Put another way, our ego is desperately concerned about past and future. It's how it builds its skin. It's how it builds it's, you get these series of stories from our past, our victimization, or our power, or the money we used to have, or the, you know, whatever it might have been. Those past stories help the ego stay, stay in charge. And those future wants and worries help the ego stay in charge. Okay? Spirit, or in our, our, the metaphor that we're using, the ocean, Past, future, what? Totally unimportant. Totally unimportant to its ability to fully express itself. One of the ways that we can then kind of walk this path where we are no longer just atomized as this, this you know, isolated little ping pong ball in an oceanic uh, universe of spirit. One of the ways we can do this is to behaviorally shift, behaviorally shift from a place of knowing, which is totally egoic, to a space of wonder. Wonder is not knowing. Wonder is just that. It's a very, very pure, open, sensitivity to what could be, not what is, as in what I know. Do you understand the difference? Okay. What I know is a contraction. What I know is atomized, is singular. What I know is an attachment. What I wonder about is open. Okay. So wondering can help us. Wondering can help us from the sense that we approach everything with a sense of newness and freshness, that there's no reference. Allow for every experience to come from a place without 
being attached to a reference point in the past. It's amazing what that can do. Allowing wonder, oh, I wonder what's going to happen, as opposed to wondering and then watching, watching the mind just take it to a place of contraction. The mind, for instance, does a wonderful job. I sometimes refer to it as building templates. You see a situation, or especially with people, if we see people and we see them start behaving in a certain way, we immediately go into a space of, oh, well, this is what they're going to do next. And, this, and what we, we've done is we've given birth to war. We've given birth to non-peace. We've given birth to confusion, to delusion, to all the things you don't wish for. In that space, everything can be brand new. Every single experience you have, everything that arises can be met with a certain newness. I guess the best way one could refer to this, do you remember when you got your radio flyer when you were a kid or you got your G.I. Joe or... Um, uh, for me, it was my first yo-yo. It's like I couldn't stop, just hold it. I couldn't do the yo-yo, but it didn't matter. It's like I had one. <laughs> you know? It's just like, oh. Uh, similarly, when you are in um, a relationship for the first time, the drunkenness, the drunkenness that we feel, uh, you know, after we've made out for the first time or whatever, and you're like, all right, yeah, this is maybe going someplace, you know? It's like that newness, that freshness that we have. Imagine living like that. When we do that, it's not just about peace. It's not just about happiness. It's about the substrate to all that, which is joy. <laughs> joy. There's this resonant love, this joy that abides in that oceanic sense of who we are. And there's enough of it to actually fill the ping pong ball. As a matter of fact, the space inside the ping pong ball is nothing other than that. It doesn't know that. Maybe when the ping pong ball when that skin gets popped and it fills with the ocean, it's no longer just a ping pong ball. It's now ocean and ping pong ball consciously. <laughs> that metaphor sucks, but still. You can <laughs> space of wonder we don't ever really need to know either we don't have to know it's not that important the wonder is what's important the questioning is what's important we get to rest there that's a place of, of where we are simultaneously in solitude with the all in other words we recognize that we are in every moment we are one 
And this is, this is the wisdom that we talk about. We recognize that we are all part of one thing. And we also simultaneously recognize that we are the many. We are all the other ping pong balls too. We are all people. We are all things. We are the many and the one. When we see that we are the many and we can hold the many, we are compassion. When we can see that we are the one, we are wise. And living from that space is living from peace, is living from joy, is living from non-war, is living from past the place, past the need to understand, past the need to gain, past the fear of loss. It's where we, instead of experiencing dualism, we experience non-dual. Instead of experiencing suffering, we experience openness, joy. And the suffering is what keeps spirit at bay in our experience. Our attachment to suffering or not to suffering is what keeps spirit at bay. Opening ourselves to that infinitely expansive place, though, of stillness, of space, of joy. Opening and exposing ourselves to that light supports spirit. It doesn't diminish it. It supports actively spirit recognizing itself through us. And that's awakening. That's you becoming your wish. Questions? I'm sorry, I thought I saw. Yes, Bobby. Sometimes, so let me repeat the question, make sure I'm getting it right. Sometimes when you are observing, you feel instead of more, uh, uh, more in line or more in harmony or more, uh, you feel actually more separate from. Yeah. yeah, that's really, really natural as we begin this process. Because what we're doing actually is we're be becoming more and more integrated with something that's bigger. We are leaving the confines, so to speak, of what we've always known to be the physical limits of our experience. And we're actually growing into something that carries us outside of just the physical limits of our experience. Indeed, we're moving into, we're growing into something that's bigger than that. We are not just our bodies. We are our bodies, but it's not the whole story. And we begin to complete that story as we, as we get still. So be fearless. Be fearless when that happens. When that starts happening in you, or if it happens again, it may never happen, but if it happens again or if it gets really extreme, be very patient with it. Wonder about it. Be curious. Wonder. Huh. Wow. That's all you need to say. Don't go, wow. I'm sure this means that, right? Because then, then the contracted aspect of us takes over. Instead, just be with the wow. So I guess the plan was to be more present instead of a little bit. 
Yeah, well, I think you're going to surprise yourself most likely if you continue the, the practice. What happens is presence begins to take on an entirely different meaning from what you think it should mean. It's no longer confined by your conception of what you think presence is. Okay? Great question. Yeah. Kimba, yes. Um, so what's the difference between the witness and the watcher and the ego? The ego feels resistance. The witness feels no resistance ever. Well, what do you mean by resistance? Uh, I don't want that. Oh. oh, I want more of that. Oh. That's ego. Okay. okay? Witness says, wow. Okay? So uh, when we have a um, part, it's, it's, it's a really cool question because on the one hand, what you laid out beautifully was how we attach to outcomes. And the minute we do that, we let ego govern the experience. And then it will evaluate it. This was good or this was bad. Instead of the meditation just being meditation, instead of the sitting just being sitting, it now actually gets a score or a grade, right? Yeah. And ego wants A's, you know? And so uh, the best way, I think, to, to work around this is to kind of follow the, the uh, uh, you know, at least a bit of the path that I outlined uh, this evening, which is begin to develop curiosity, begin to develop wonder about your experience as you, as your, as your mind uh, wanders. Wonder as you wander. <laughs> uh, seriously though, wonder as you wander. Wow. My mind. Wow. And then go, well, it's not really my mind. It's the, the mind. Wow. You know, well, what happens is you develop a sense of Awareness, okay? Even if you're falling asleep, the two things you picked, uh, monkey mind and falling asleep, I'm going to give you some encouragement as long as you promise to let it go, okay? Those are, in many respects, the, uh, they're kind of like the medium bastions. Uh, th those are the, it's the mid-level of, uh, as we start a practice, it's, the, it's that space in the middle where ego begins fighting. Usually when we start meditation, uh, ego doesn't know what's happening, okay? Has no clue, except it starts feeling good. Oh yeah, I want more of that, okay? But what it doesn't recognize is that it's actually um, working its way out of a job. <laughs> it doesn't know that. And then when it starts realizing, whoa, 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 wait, wait, I know that it feels really good, and my blood pressure is going down, and all my friends like me more. But um, this is really, the implications of this are huge. Uh, and it starts stressing. And the psyches, one of the major uh, defense mechanisms of the psyche is to keep buzzing or to shut down, to go to sleep. Okay? So that's when you have to turn up your, your awareness. You just have to literally just turn the heat up and be right there with it. As you're falling asleep, can you be really curious about that whole process as you start tipping? You know? <laughs> it's, it's marvelous. It is absolutely marvelous. And you are absolutely, if, if anybody in this room starts doing this, you know I mean? We will still love you. It's not that big a deal, okay? All right? But that whole time, watch, watch. Carry your awareness into that 
that uh, brain brainwave pattern. Carry it in there, okay? Because it, it's still there. So yet more stuff to practice, more stuff to work with, and you're not attaching. You see? Okay. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I haven't totally worked out this question yet. Um, it seems to me that to a cell in my body, I'm the universe. Mm -hmm. And I have no idea if the cell or that cell dies. Mm -hmm. And I don't really care. But if a lot of them start dying, I do care. Mm -hmm. So as the universe, I... Wait, what cares? What? <laughs> if, if a whole bunch of the cells start to die... Yeah. Well, uh, my ego cares, but... And what's that? Well, that's not my question. <laughs> No, but it's mine. Okay. Um, it's my ego. Okay, and so if you show me your ego, if you show me your mind, I can fix this whole thing. If I could do that, I wouldn't need to ask the question. <laughs> yeah. Guess what you can't ever do? Hmm. You'll never be able to show me your mind. Okay? You'll never be able to show me your mind. Now, I totally stepped all over your question kind of purposefully, because the stars without, as Immanuel Kant says, are equal to the stars within. It's one of the great Zen quotes of all time. The stars without are equal to the stars within. Whether we're talking at the cellular, molecular, or the level of quarks, okay? Or we're talking, you know, ultra deep field in the, you know, in cosmology. Are we really talking about anything that's different? Is it really different? It depends on perspective, right? And perspective is developed and held by the mind, the very thing you'll never be able to show. OK? Mm -hmm. So now, what was your question? Uh, I'm wondering if the big emptiness, does this anything comparable to kind of facilitate healthy souls. I mean, I can't just say, I really don't care what you sell. It's all up to you. You carry the whole weight. I can't do it for you, and I'm going to smoke two packs a day. Because mm -hmm. that won't work. Right. So what's the universe doing? Well, yeah, let, let, let me take this in two parts. Because on the one hand, you might lead an incredibly healthy life, and you're still going to get lung cancer. Mm -hmm. You know? <clears throat> and at that point, you're going to really wish that you'd at least had a really good Cuban cigar once. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> The, <laughs> uh, on, the, on the other hand, um, as much as the ego thinks it can create uh, you know, a healthy lifestyle, therefore it'll create a causal relationship with, you know, uh, uh, with an outcome, okay? it can't. Okay? Just like the universe. The universe is not interested in creating your evaluation of a healthy or unhealthy outcome. It doesn't care. It does not care, okay? What it does care about is making sure that there's this constant flow of arising and falling. Arising and falling. Creativity is another way of saying the arising, or birth, okay? Birth is creativity. Creativity and death, or entropy, degeneration. So it doesn't care if no one's enlightened. There's no universal... Goal really doesn't. Mm -mm. 
Does your foot care if it's recognized? You know, it just is. Now the cool thing, the gift in all of this, and perhaps there is some kind of metaphysical thing that we could play around with here that it doesn't really have anything to do with enlightenment, but it's still kind of a cool thing. We have this miraculous ability to be aware of our awareness. Does that make sense? We are aware of our awareness. We have a fancy word for it. We call it metacognition. We can think about our thinking, right? So it's meta. Awareness, if we are aware of our awareness. And that gives us this blessing called consciousness. <clears throat> and as we start really exploring the roots of our consciousness, if we, start, if we start getting to this place of I, the very natural question that starts coming up as people start sitting still is like, wait a minute. Am I my name? Well, yeah, but I'm not just that. Am I... My hopes and dreams, yeah, but I'm not just that. Am I my relationships? Yeah, but I'm not right. You start seeing how limited this I sense is, and we start exploring that. And then guess what we find? We find that at the core of that I sense is the universe. And then we're right back to the stars without are equal to the stars within. And we see we are nothing other than spirit, consciously. That's awakening. When we, when we live our lives from that space, we're helpful. In the most beautiful sense of things, we're helpful to our, our, our children and all children. We're helpful to the mailman and the mail service. We're helpful to the grocer. We're helpful to our neighbor. We're helpful to the world. We're helpful to the food chain. We're helpful to all those things. And we're still going to die. And so will all those around us. But our relationship to that loss, to that entropy, is no more profound than our relationship to the birth of all things. We begin to live that rhythm, live that flow. And fear disappears. In that place, there's no space for fear. Fear arises when there is a, the birth of something that wants to hang on to its somethingness. That's where fear starts, where, where there's attachment. And when we let that go, we just become part of the great cosmic sine curve, you know? Inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. Birth, death, birth, death. Comes, goes, comes, goes. We start to be in that space. What's that look? <laughs> well, if spirit makes us so helpful, shouldn't spirit be a little more helpful? <laughs> How is spirit anything other than everything? That which is helpful to you might not be helpful to somebody else. That which is helpful to somebody else you might perceive as harmful. Okay? So spirit doesn't pick sides, just like the sun doesn't pick who it's going to shine on. Thanks for coming. <laughs>